0: Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
1: The punk singer dives into the life of musician, activist, and cultural icon Kathleen Hanna and is now playing On Demand during its theatrical run. Twice Brown, starring Penelope Cruz and Emile Hirsch, premieres On Demand December 6th, the same day it hits theaters.
0: The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The art house is now in your house.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over a million high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 25% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SVU1213.
0: From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer,
1: and I'm Allison Wilmore. And in this episode of Film Spotting SVU, Matt and I come to the painful but heartfelt realization that we're just never going to succeed in our dreams becoming professional dancers. As we discuss Francis Ha.
0: Yes, and later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now all centered around a common theme. Inspired by Francis Ha, we were going to regale you with half-formed anecdotes about our own 20s in New York, but it turns out those are a lot more interesting when put on screen by professionals. So instead, we're going to recommend some other films from 2013, available for streaming or rental as we approach the year's end.
1: But first up is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. Matt, what are your picks this time?
0: Okay, we've got three picks here this week. I haven't seen any of these movies yet, but uh, looking forward to checking them out. Our first is one of the more highly acclaimed movies of the year. It's called The Hunt. Directed by Thomas Vinterberg And that's going to be available on VOD Starting on December 10th It stars Mads Mikkelsen Who you may know as Le From Casino Royale And uh, now I believe he is Hannibal Lecter On TV's Hannibal Yes And in this uh, movie he plays a man He's wrongfully accused of sexually abusing a child And the movie is about how That accusation spirals His life sort of out of control (laughs) Uh, Thomas Vinterberg, you may know as one of the founders of the Dogma 95 movement, that was the the sort of uh, 90s movement with Lars von Trier was a big part of that where their films were all – they had all these rules. They couldn't use lighting. Uh, what, what were some of the other rules of Dogma, Alison? Do you it remember? It was basically
1: – w- it was just uh, minimalist, right? Right, that was right. To kind Essentially. To it down to this the very kind of essential – Type of cinema and to use those rules and right. restrictions as a, as
0: a strength. Right, there were rules against like budgets and special effects. Uh, you, 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 minimalism. You're right. That when you boil it down, it was basically that. Uh, th- they, they've long since sort of abandoned that as a rule. This is not a dogma movie. Um, but I, I think if you've seen uh, Thomas Vinterberg's most famous film, which is The Celebration, you'll recognize that core theme. I mean, that was a movie that was also about the impact of accusations of sexual abuse on children. Uh, in that case it was it was a different situation, a different story but the the core theme was kind of kind of the same. So I haven't seen this movie yet, but just the fact that it's him sort of returning to that idea definitely makes me uh, curious to see it also of note here the hunt was co-written by Tobias Linholm who also wrote another of the most highly acclaimed. Uh, Movies, Danish movies anyway, of the year, which is A Hijacking, which I also haven't seen yet, but is also on my list of movies, the ever growing list of movies that I need to check out from this year. So that's The Hunt, and it's available starting on December 10th. Two more quick picks for you here. Both of these will be available on demand starting on December 10th. The first is called Some Girls. There's Parentheses around the S in girls, so maybe it's some girl, parentheses, S, parentheses. I'm not entirely sure. I'm going to stick with some girls for now. Uh, That's directed by Daisy Von Schurler-Mayer. It's based on the play by Neil Labute, who also wrote the screenplay, and it stars Adam Brody, Kristen Bell, and Zoe Kazan, so it's got an excellent cast. You've got Neil Labute there. The plot synopsis is, on the eve of his wedding, a successful writer, that would be uh, Adam Brody, Travels across the country to meet up with his ex-lovers in an attempt to make amends for past relationship transgressions, and uh, this one played at South by Southwest this year. I missed this one. I haven't. Se- Allison, have you seen this movie?
1: I have not. Um, I've heard that it's somewhat of a return to form, along with the uh, the other film that Neil Bute directed this year for him. So. If you like Neil Abute, I feel like that's a good thing.
0: Right. This would be one hopefully <laughs> worth checking out. That would be it would be nice if it was indeed a return to form. That's definitely what I was hoping for when I saw that this was on the list of stuff coming out. So that's some girls. And then finally, I think the most important release, maybe of the year, perhaps. Certainly the most important Battle of the Year, because the movie is Battle of the Year, directed by Benson Lee and starring Josh Holloway, Chris Brown, Josh Peck, and Laz Alonzo. And uh, as one of uh, Central New Jersey's most foremost, you know, b-boy dancers, I'm quite interested in this one, <laughs> Allison. Uh, it is he a would be of course, of course, right. It's this is actually a fiction film that's based on a documentary called Planet B Boy, which was also directed by Benson Lee. So he's taken his his documentary and he's turned it into a fiction film. Uh, it follows a couple of dancers as they try to put together a B-boy team that will win the upcoming Battle of the Year under the belief that proper coaching can take any team to victory. There's a powerful tale, Allison, <laughs> of underdogs and dancing, B-boys, and again, as someone who, who grew up in that lifestyle and has a lot of experience with it, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing my story essentially put on screen. I don't know if you have any experience in this world, Allison, but it's a... It's, it's, I am more of a rap battle type. Right. Yeah, that was your thing. You grew up doing the rap battles. I grew up with the, the battle dancing, the break dance the fighting and stuff. So we come from different worlds, but we're able to uh, find common ground uh, <laughs> over movies like this. So that's Battle of the Year, and that's, uh, that's going to be available on demand starting on December 10th.
1: We're happy to have Shutterstock.com back on board as a sponsor of this episode of Film Spotting. Us for you at Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, advertisement, multimedia presentation, or other type of film project. You can choose from over a million high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics, and they have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Shutterstock sources video clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. Many contributors to Shutterstock are professional filmmakers, and Shutterstock reviews each video individually for content and quality before adding it to its library. Shutterstock adds 12,000 video clips each week, so every time you visit, you'll find something new.
0: Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level, and they make it easy. Shutterstock has sophisticated tools so you can search and drill down by category, clip resolution, contributor name, and more. And as you find the video assets you're looking for, you can save them to a clip box, and then you can access your selections anytime and share them with other team members. Shutterstock has flexible pricing, and you can choose between individual clips or video packs. You can download those clips in HD, or you can save them with standard definition or web formats.
1: You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account There's no credit card needed. Just start an account, begin using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save video selections you find to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU1213, and new accounts will receive 25% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 25% off new accounts, use offer code SVU1213. We thank Shutterstock for their support.
0: Everybody, yeah. everybody, yeah. rock your body right. Back streets, back, alright. Hey. No. Oh my God, we're back again. Brothers, sisters, everybody, say. All right. So before we get to our uh, our cue shots, which are going to be recommendations from 2013, let's just I mean, people probably can already tell that that we might sound a little bit different on this episode. Uh, We apologize for uh, slightly less than perfect sound quality uh, on this episode. Couldn't be helped, though. Allison, what happened? Are you all right? You're you're waylaid. I have rabies. You have rabies. So you've been you've been locked away.
1: Yes, but such is my dedication to this podcast <laughs> that even though I am foaming at the mouth in this padded room, I have said, "Bring me Skype, let me record."
0: You were you were you were injured, so we couldn't we couldn't be together, but you know, like the post office Film spotting SVU. Nothing can stop us from our appointed rounds of recommending things and making stupid voices. So we we're shouldering on. Hopefully, uh, in two weeks, you'll you'll be feeling uh, up to uh, making the long, arduous trek down to from your part of Brooklyn to my part of Brooklyn. It's very far. It is so far. far. (laughs) So. Hopefully by then we will uh, we'll be back in the same room. So we're recording this over Skype, uh, and so if we, we sound a little different and if we're not quite, uh, you know, if we're talking over each other a little more than normal, that's the reason. So we apologize for that. We're, gonna, we're doing the best we can, uh, and hopefully, I think by next, our next uh, installment, we should be back, back to full strength. So now let's get, get to these 2013 movies. And Allison, right before we started recording, you said something I think is quite shocking. Even more shocking than having rabies, uh, yes. which is that this is the, this is the first year in how many years that you're not doing a top ten list of movies.
1: Yeah, it's it's been it, it's at least maybe eight or nine years, I think. You know, this will be the first time because I, uh, as you may know, this has been the first full year for me as the full time TV editor at IndieWire. It is. Which is- uh, yes,
0: I was unaware of, of that. Year. Congratulations! Thank
1: you. I, I actually started full time on January first, so <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this has meant you know uh, watching a lot of television, obviously, and it's really meant that I, I haven't watched nearly as many movies as I have in years past when I was doing film coverage. Right. I still you know enjoy watching movies and want to watch movies, but uh, I've. Ha- Professionally, and also because I've enjoyed it, have been watching a lot more
0: television. Right. So
1: I, I just don't feel like I've seen enough movies to put together a really solid top ten list. You
0: you missed uh, White House Down. I know. Um, uh, I've
1: watched. I've actually seen White House oh. Down.
0: <laughs> you missed. Uh, you missed the internship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, and you the, can't. That's a huge um, gaping hole in my my. You know.
0: You missed Delivery Man.
1: Yeah, yeah. You've missed but excellent things about that. One. You've missed
0: all of Vince Vaughn's <laughs> movies from this year, basically. So you know, you just I'm weren't... just
1: gonna say best actor of 2013 uh, automatically. Though I'm assuming his yeah. work is never anything but excellent. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and supporting. Yeah. I think you should give him both. That's true. Yeah, he really he holds all parts of the movie up. Right. So you're. So you, I'm guessing then you're going to have a top 10 list for TV instead.
1: Yeah, I definitely am going to do that. And probably TV is is trickier to rank, I feel, because you can both do the season in television, Mm. but also episodes, you know. Um, But certainly some of my favorite shows this year, uh, some of which we've talked about on the podcast, have been uh, Orange is the New Black on Netflix. That was a great show. really really great um mm-hmm. the final season of breaking bad has mm-hmm. been final half season i suppose has been really tremendous and that's on itunes and amazon the americans had its first season uh that's available on both of those sites as well for rents uh and is one that i thought was very promising there's a french drama that's currently running on sun edge channel called the returned which has been very good which is about the dead coming back to life um, top of the Lake, which we talked about, and which I know you didn't like nearly as much as I did. Yeah, that wouldn't uh,
0: be on my Netflix. list. My I list. really like a lot.
1: And uh, the British show, Black Mirror, which is this anthology show about technology. It's currently, it's finally made it to the U.S. It's currently running on DirecTV and is not, unfortunately, streaming anywhere at the moment in the U.S., but is, I think, really fantastic. Okay. So those are some of my favorites. All and, right. Uh, but, but so what about – I know you're still working on your list. You're still yes. doing – Movies I am uh, do you have any any kind of highlights of the year so far or or general observations about the year in movies
0: yeah, I mean, the one thing I would think I would say is is that the longer we do this kind of a podcast and we 're really paying attention to streaming, I mean just looking at the number of things that came out earlier in this year that you can already watch. And not just like download or rent on Amazon or iTunes, but just stuff coming. Stuff seems to be coming quicker and quicker to Netflix, um, yeah, especially
1: indies. Indies, there are right? Indie distributors that seem to have deals with Netflix where they end up almost shockingly quickly on Netflix.
0: Indies, foreign films, documentaries, I mean, I guess it's the stuff that's has less kind of broad commercial potential that might benefit from, you know, selling a lot of rentals or or digital copies on one of those other websites, but I mean, I, Netflix is a is a website that has strengths and weaknesses, you know, and they do seem to be a lot more interested in television and binging on whole seasons of stuff than they do in in classic movies and there I think there are other websites that are already starting to pick up the slack in that regard but if you're interested in catching up with like recent stuff, they do seem to be getting a lot of recent stuff. You know, one of the movies that I'm going to use as my picks is a movie that just got added in the last couple days, and this is a movie that came out earlier this year, but had such a small release that I barely even heard about it. But as I'm going through Movies to catch up with, you know, you can find lists of movies that uh, are contenders or, you know, uh, the website I work for, The Dissolve, uh, the editor, one of the editors sent around privately this list of like sort of movies to catch up with. And this movie that I had barely even heard of was on there and I looked and, oh, it just got added to Netflix and actually was really fabulous. I might make my top ten list and this is a movie that, you know, got a tiny release but it's now on Netflix and so – it has the potential to reach a huge audience whether or not it does is another story because you know another thing netflix isn't great at is is often letting people know these titles are on netflix and hopefully that's something that we can help people with but you know i'm 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 growing more and more struck by how you know these tiny little movies are Really are becoming more and more available on, on streaming, and not just on Netflix, on Amazon and all these different websites and services. So it is kind of an exciting time to me to be into this sort of thing, because these movies have never been more available, I don't think. You know, older films and that kind of thing, that's a whole other story. But in terms of new stuff, there's a lot to watch, at least I think so.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that this was a great year for American indies for things like Short Term Twelve and The Spectacular Now, Ain't The Body's Saints, you know. But for a lot of these films, their main life is going to be on something like Netflix. Yes. You know, they get small selective uh releases in theaters and then unless you want to invest in buying them on D V D, which, you know, I, I think might not be the first thing you your first encounter with the movie, I mean they're probably going to be reaching the majority of people via Netflix or something like upstream color you know reach Netflix pretty quickly after yep. it w- it had its self distribution and I'm sure the majority of the conversation about it for those who were not able to see it in theaters happened you know then that was the date where it started happening yeah so yeah it's it's been really exciting to see these films kind of go. Get have such like wide uh, availability via streaming so quickly.
0: Right. Let's get to our picks. You want to start? What's your first uh, 2013 catch up movie here?
1: Sure. Uh, it is Mud. It is available for rental on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, YouTube, Hitlist, and Redbox. And this is a movie that had its premiere at Cannes last year, but came out in theaters this spring uh, in April. It's the third film from Jeff Nichols, who is the director of Shotgun Stories and Take Shelter, a really interesting, very uh, talented filmmaker, and also a, a really uh, a big chronicler of regional life. You know, Take Shelter was set in the Midwest, but Shotgun Stories and Mud are both set in Arkansas, where Nichols is from, and they are intensely grounded in a sense of place. Um, Mud is set along the Mississippi River, where these two teenage boys, Ellis and Neckbone, find an abandoned boat, which is washed up on a small island, and with it, they find a man who goes by the name of Mud and is played by Matthew McConaughey, hiding out. And uh, this film has the feel of a a young adult novel. And I say that not in a way to summon up images of vampires. And, oh, and that was my next worded teen sparkly romance, but <laughs> in the sense that it is about, it's really about the perspective of the main character, which is limited. Like we, we understand a bit more about these characters than he does as we see them, but it's also about his change in perspective and, you know, this moment of coming of age and about ideas, kind of childlike ideas of love. Um, Ellis goes from, you know, believing in this rather naive, idealistic idea of this romantic relationship between mud, who is on the run and uh, his love Juniper, who's played by Reese Witherspoon. And he, he himself is a little bit naive is a little bit, a slightly childlike character in in a certain way and so he enlists the boys help uh but but the world turns out to be a lot more complicated than that the truth turns out to be a lot more complicated than that and i think that this film handles that transition and that point at point in how the, the main character ellis kind of learns that really well what are you doing i saw that same boot print up in the tree
0: It's got a crossing in the hill. Somebody's been in our boat. Shit. Let's go. We gotta go if you want to make it back. It takes twice as long going upriver. Hold on. Up there. They stop. Where the hell did he go? I don't
1: know. It's a really well-made movie and it's not maybe as ambitious and kind of startling as Take Shelter was, but it, it's, it's very different and its scope is very different and it has some great performances, uh, not just from the, the main you know keen actor, but from Matthew McConaughey and Reese Witherspoon, both of whom uh, I, I think kind of managed to play off of their movie star charisma, but in this really fantastically grounded way in which that charisma is used to hide kind of the slightly battered slightly less trustworthy human beings they actually are and uh, and michael shannon and Sh- sam Shepard also appear uh it's a movie i liked a lot and it's one that's actually i think done maybe a little better in the indie box office than it necessarily has uh, in terms of critics, uh, not that it wasn't – it was fairly well-received. But I, I think that this is one that's worth another look as four-year-end list just because it's, it's kind of – it really comes together so well in, in its small scale. So that is Mud, and it is available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, and all the other usual suspects.
0: Okay, that's a great pick. I mean, we, I think we were both huge fans of Take Shelter – yeah. Jack, Jeff Nichols' previous movie. I like this one too. I didn't like it as much as Take Shelter.
1: Yeah, but I, I didn't either. But I, I think it does – it tries for something so different.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very different movie. But I I, I think you summed it up well. And the thing that really stood out to me was it was yet another great Matthew McConaughey performance in a series yeah. of, of great performances. And his other movie this year that's not available for streaming yet is Dallas Buyers Club – uh, which I would just—it's similar in, the, in just the sense that I don't think either one are like mind-blowing movies, but he's giving these great performances that almost you know justify the movies in and of themselves. He is so good in these movies that it almost doesn't matter how good the rest of the movie is around him. That he is—he's just doing some great stuff right now. He's just—he's just on—he's just on, in the zone. It's like he's like yeah. in one of those you know zones where it's like like a, like Michael Jordan in in basketball at the end of a game. He just can't miss right now. Everything he's doing is just fantastic.
1: Yeah, and very different, too. Yeah. Like, those two performances
0: are so different. Absolutely. That's a great point. All right. Well, that's a great pick. My first pick, uh, I don't know if it, its I would put it quite on the level of, of mud, but it, I just watched it, you know, again, going through, catching up with stuff, and this is certainly one of the more talked about documentaries of the year, and as I've been catching up with stuff, I actually have found I haven't seen a lot of documentaries, and so I've been trying to watch... This weekend, watch a couple. And so, the one I'm going to recommend uh, is called Blackfish. It's directed by Gabriella Cop- uh, Copperthwaite, and that's available for rent on Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, and a bunch of other places. And this is, you know, a, a, an issue documentary, I suppose. It's about. Uh, I sort of expected it to be about how you know, how SeaWorld is is to blame and and, and, and a horrible place and, and all that sort of thing. It's actually a little more complicated than that, and that it's 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 really about almost one particular killer whale, this this killer whale named Tilikum that has had this really kind of like it's almost like the sad story of this whale that has lived its entire life in captivity and has been responsible for several humans' deaths, including some trainers and stuff, and the way in which these whales are so valuable that uh, they kind of, instead, you know, when they do something wrong, when they kill someone, when they injure someone, they're they, they so valuable to places like SeaWorld or other these other marine parks that they sort of, uh, there's sort of this vested interest in not punishing them or not, you know, uh, you know, like, if a dog... Uh, Attack someone like the dog, for example, that gave Allison rabies right <laughs> that dog allison was was put down correct the correct correct. if a dog bit someone and, and really injured them, the dog would be put down uh, when a whale is responsible for a trainer 's death these whales, especially this particular whale, like a male whale because of its breeding potential is so valuable that they come up with all these excuses and 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 things like that. So you you sort of you, you get to these sort of economics behind the, these sort of issues and the film is told by a lot of former trainers from SeaWorld and talking about the sort of sad conditions of these animals and you know does the look when we talk about these kind of films? We always talk about the Alison Wilmore test of documentary films, which is it, it can't just be an interesting story or an interesting or important issue. It has to be an interesting or important film, or uh, that that is that stands on, on its own. And so, in in terms of Blackfish, does it? I would say yes. Just barely. I don't think it's a brilliant film. And in particular, I think some of the, the ending, some of the use of kind of very ominous music uh, in the ending, or or some of the very idyllic music in other scenes, I think kind of it's it, it sort of, it's, it's pushing a little heavy-handed uh, on what you're supposed to think and feel. But uh, that said, I mean, there is some really compelling footage in this movie, and some very disturbing footage. And uh, I, I don't know, I walked away from it having felt like I saw something that was worth my time. It's only like 85 minutes. And I, I felt like it was time well spent. So, uh, you know, I've been to SeaWorld. Uh, would I go back now? I don't know. I would think a little bit about it, uh, frankly. And so uh, I think it's worth checking out. Uh, it's an interesting movie. Uh, yeah. That Have you I've seen it, I've, Allison?
1: I have seen it. I actually – and I did an interview with uh, the director when – It actually aired on CNN.
0: Ah, that's right. It's a CNN film. Yeah, Yeah, it was
1: acquired by CNN. Yeah, I I think it does make a really good kind of activist case. What I I thought was really well done about it was that it doesn't come at this issue from an animal rights perspective directly, which I think is kind of limiting for some people because, uh, you know, there are certainly lots of people who are very passionate about animal rights, but it's also – it's one kind of argument that cert- I, I would say like other certain other people kind of feel like they've heard before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But that this makes the case for also how unsafe it's placed human workers. That's right? right. Like these people who are working with these animals who love them and have only wanted to work with them, it, it, just how kind of misrepresented – their safety is like these right. animals are just not suited for captivity
0: that's right yeah it's it's not just about animal rights it's about human rights essentially because these people are it's a da- it's surprisingly dangerous for them to to be working with them and i, I even besides the whole aspect of you know the the uh, captivity of the whales the dangerousness of the whales just i thought one of the most effective parts of the movie was just where they were uh, countering the things that they say at SeaWorld when you go to visit it Versus the reality, uh, the, the scientific facts. Because the whales in their pools die young, they like to say that all orcas die at 25 or 30 years. 25 to 35 years. 25 to 35 years. They're documented uh, in the wild, living to be about 35 or the mid-30s. They tend to live a lot longer in this environment because they have all the veterinary care. And, of course, that's false. Uh, we knew by 1980 after a half a dozen years of the research that they live equivalent to human lifespans that was kind of you know kind of disturbing in and of itself that these that that that, that they sort of perpetuate these myths because they you know prop up the, the world that, the, that, that that SeaWorld is uh, involved in. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a worthwhile film. It's called Blackfish, and it's available for rental on YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, and a bunch of other – your rental uh, website or service of choice.
1: Okay. My second pick is available for streaming on Netflix and Hulu Plus, and it is Computer Chess which is a film that premiered at Sundance this year and came out in theaters uh, a little later. It is from Andrew Bujawski, the director of Funny Ha Ha, Mutual Appreciation, one of the fathers of Mumblecore, if you choose to use that name for the movement. And this is definitely an oddball film. It's set in 1980 at a computer chess tournament, and it is shot on vintage black and white tube video cameras, uh, which give this genuinely retro and you know kind of fantastically hideous look to the film it's fuzzy there's a like just there's weird uh, artifacting and there's like the light blows out sometimes they use uh you know kind of in-camera things like the the split screen at certain points or in-camera notations about what's going on because part of the film is supposed to be documented by one of the characters who's just uh who's taping the the tournament and puts notes in about what's happening on the top of the screen. Uh, But it's a film that really grew on me a lot, especially after a second viewing in which a lot of this kind of uh, haphazardness that the film seems to have uh, actually turned the kind of, you can see a lot more structure and thematic ambition underneath that. Uh, It's a film that, for all of its small scale is about in both like playful ways and actually very serious ways about the mind uh, and the kind of like, you know, the mental realm versus the physical about um, this really uh, logical pursuit of artificial intelligence uh, versus maybe a more straightforward and kind of uh, brute force version of programming. Uh, And then it's also just about It's about this tournament that is based on, you know, like on programming code and on on computers and that placed in contrast to all of the time spent, like at most, you know, kind of gatherings of of people who share either a profession or a hobby uh, for them sitting around drinking and smoking pot and just shooting the breeze about various stoner intellectual, you know, conversations.
0: I I had a theory that... I don't
1: think that Zara wants to play against computers. And why do you say that? Well, because last night after after we
0: were working on it, I took it to an MIT student's room, and uh, I had their program Stasia play against ours. Wait, you were you wheeled it over there? I had a student help me. Yes
1: okay it's a film that looks very almost frivolous in in like there's whole their whole storylines about one character wandering the aisles or wandering the hallways of the hotel at night because he wasn't able to book a room Um, there's the poor there's one woman who's on one of the teams the mit team and has to kind of deal with all kinds of awkward treatment from the various the male dominated uh, world in which she's she's kind of ventured, and uh, then there are the encounters between the computer chess people and this kind of hippie uh, couples therapy group that's also there at the hotel at the same time. But it, it's a film that I think uh, lo- looks even better on second viewing. It, it's it's one that. Because it operates on its own kind of – in its own world so much, uh, it, it kind of – it takes a little while to grow in or at least certainly that was the case for me. But, uh, you know, it, it's one that actually is probably one of my favorites of the year and deals a lot with a lot of how our expectations for and fears about the future, you know, even placed in this very deliberately outdated, obsolete world, uh, you know, we have the same ones now. Uh, in, the, in this much more, you know, ad- technologically advanced present, nothing nothing is really all that different. Um, so that's computer chess, and it is currently streaming on Netflix and Hulu Plus.
0: Uh, my uh, next pick is actually the movie I was sort of uh, alluding to earlier when we were talking at the uh, the top of the segment. Uh, again, a film I had almost heard almost nothing about until a couple of days ago. It just got added to Netflix. I watched it this morning. And I really, really liked it. And and it's a movie that not a lot of people are talking about. I don't think many people have seen. But this is a movie, too, that, you know, it could wind up on my top ten list. I think it's that interesting. It's called In the House. It's the latest movie by Francois uh, Ozan, the French filmmaker who made Swimming Pool and a, a bunch of other movies. I've never been a huge fan of his, his stuff. I've seen a, a bunch of his movies. I liked Swimming Pool a lot. Um, I liked Five by Two. I mean, there's a. I, I liked some of his movies, but I thought this was really, really interesting. Uh, it's about a high school English teacher or French teacher, I suppose, since it's a French movie. <laughs> uh, high school literature teacher, let's say, uh, who uh, he takes a particular interest in one of his students. He's he's sort of a frustrated writer. He was unsuccessful as a writer. He's become a a, a teacher. And he thinks his students are all just a bunch of kind of drooling, uh, you know, cell phone obsessed. Uh, morons, essentially. But he has this one student, Claude, who, uh, like, writes the, – the, the very first assignment of the year is to just sort of, like, write what you did on the weekend. And all of them are terrible, except this one student who writes this very personal story that uh, seemingly is, is, like, truthful but also kind of strangely disturbing and voyeuristic. He uh, sort of insinuates himself into the life of another classmate and his family. Uh, this this guy, Claude, comes from a kind of a broken home – his mother isn't around. His father is disabled. He, he he, doesn't have a lot going for him, and he kind of idolizes this other student who has what he thinks from the outside is this perfect life. So he kind of insinuates himself into the classmate's life and starts writing, uh, like, chapters. Each assignment is, ends with sort of to be continued. And the the teacher... Instantly is sort of drawn into this, this, this student's stories and kind of encourages him to keep writing them even though he's not entirely sure how much of it is fiction and how much of it is this, this character uh, kind of worming his way into this family and potentially destroying the family. So there's all these fascinating kind of angles to the story, which in and of itself is kind of a, almost like a Hitchcockian uh, rear window style thriller – but then there's all these aspects about storytelling, filmmaking, writing—all uh, these kind of wonderful ideas that are bubbling through the story. Uh, so you, you know, it's not just a, a story that's entertaining; it's one that really gets your 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 brain thinking about what's going on in it. And I just found it really stimulating. It's a it's a really interesting thriller. The uh, well, thriller may be a little strong. It's not, you know, it's not like uh, people are are murdering each other, but. Um, it's a really interesting I guess drama psychological drama and again all these ideas about storytelling and the morality of of writing your own life into your your stories or the the line between fiction and, and reality and the way we always encourage writers, you know, the, that old dictum, write what you know, you know, write your own life or write the things that you understand. Uh, here is a case where there's a character who's very much – can seems, seemingly can only write what he knows or what he sees and he can write beautiful quote-unquote fiction out of that. But it's also very potentially destructive and what does that mean and how does that uh, – how should we reward that in our in our society?
1: Le personnage de Claude désire Esther, mais des obstacles surgissent. Rapha père, Rapha fils, la question en or.
0: Que va-t-il se passer?
1: Et c'est quoi la suite? Tu vas donner rendez-vous à Esther dans un hôtel de passe? Non, c'est la tête dans la maison. Tout va se passer dans la maison
0: really interesting stuff I really enjoyed watching it and I, I hope people check it out it is on Netflix now the name of the movie is In the House so take a look at it I think it's, it's worth a watch
1: hey what Lev is asking for your number give it to him he did just break up with Dan today just do it I love
0: you Sophie Even if you love your phone that has email more than you love me.
1: My phone that has email doesn't leave a casserole dish in the sink for three days. What about that time that you made a cake? I love you too.
0: Ahoy sexy, are you around this week? Ahoy sexy?
1: That is actually very gay. Am I nautically sensual? (laughs) You're funny. Now it's time for our listeners' choice section, in which we offer up three options for you to choose from as our next review. And as it's the end of the year, and hence a time to catch up on new releases we might have missed, this go-round we had all recent films for you to vote for. The Grandmaster, Grabbers, and Francis Ha. And surprisingly for both of us, I think we expected Wong Kar-Wai to win. Frances Ha was the runaway champ. Directed by Noah Baumbach, Frances Ha is co-written by star Greta Gerwig, who plays Frances, a 27-year-old sort of professional dancer living in New York with her best friend Sophie, played by Mickey Sumner. And Francis likes to refer to the pair of them as the same person with different hair, but how that fact becomes less and less true is the main arc of the film, as Sophie moves out of the apartment she's been sharing with Francis, and out of their platonic life partnership, and then in with a boyfriend who becomes her fiancé. Meanwhile, Francis is left behind in the professional and personal limbo she was previously very happy in, and starts to quietly panic about what's next. Francis Ha is Noah Baumbach's seventh film, and my favorite of his so far, he has a tendency to write these very complex, prickly characters, but not always in a way that, for me, indicates a notable amount of empathy. Especially with something like Margot at the wedding, which really just left me longing for the house to blow up and kill all (laughs) the characters. But Frances Ha is a warmer film, while not being necessarily that much of a softer one. Frances is prone to you know missing social cues, to acting obnoxious at dinner parties, and engaging in self defeating behavior. But she's also very recognizable in her quarter life crisis. Um, So, Matt, my first question for you is, uh, you know, the film occupies some of the subject matter and way of talking around things that recalls the mumblecore movement with which Greta Gerwig is associated. But it's also shot in black and white by cinematographer Sam Levy and has an old fashioned feel uh, that, you know, recalls uh, certain other famous New York films. Do you see it as a closer relative uh, of Joe Swanberg's films or Woody Allen's?
0: Oh that's an interesting question. I mean to me definitely when I saw it although you're right Greta Gerwig is almost like you know the the queen of mumblecore movies it did remind me uh when I first saw it of a Woody Allen movie. You know I think I wrote even at the time when it first came out in a review that it was like the sort of movie you felt like Woody Allen would make now if Woody Allen wasn't you know 70s Five years old and living on the Upper East Side in this bubble of wealth and you know kind of privilege and, and sort of like ensconced in his own little world uh, that, so I, I guess I would put it closer to to Woody Allen uh, of those two. The, the thing that I found kind of interesting though was right around that time, that same time when it came out, Noah Baumbach was on I think it was WTF with uh, Mark Marin doing an interview and he was asked like what his influences are and what he you know like how the movies that really affected him and certainly he wouldn't deny that Woody Allen was an influence but the one that he talked about that sort of no one he says kind of mentions or that he really feels like is an influence on him but doesn't get discussed is Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis and their movies and when he said that it did kind of click for me that Frances Ha, for whatever else it is, is kind of like a female version of Stripes in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, in that it is about these kind of characters in their late 20s who are just kind of lost and uh, unformed. And they are kind of best friends, roommates, who are at this crossroads. And, you know, they, they're kind of searching and in Stripes, obviously, then what they do is they join the army and that does not happen in Francis Ha. But I, there's a sort of a surprising kinship when he said that. It kind of coalesced in my mind that that was sort of what he's doing here is he's making a movie about people in the process of becoming their adult selves. And I think it's something that he does in a lot of his movies. As you, you mentioned, it definitely recalls some of those other movies – uh, but I, I agree with everything else you said about it. That it is a, a a little bit of a warmer movie. Francis is a much more likable, more empathetic character. And I don't know if I would put it as his my favorite of his movies. I've liked a lot of Noah Baumbach's movies, but I think it is one of his best, certainly.
1: Yeah, I you know it also recalled Woody Allen to me in that initial in that initial brush, just because I, you know in part just because of the the. The New York, the black and white New York, but also its realm of like dinner parties and of kind of these apartment conversations. And it also has this real joyfulness to its portrayal of life in New York as much as. Francis does not have an easy time with it always. There are some scenes I mean even the ones in which she's hanging around the apartment she ends up moving into with uh, these two boys played by Adam Driver and Michael Zegan or of, of the scene of her running through the streets of Chinatown to, to modern love that are, are kind of giddy almost in a way that I was very charmed by. Um, I, I think that uh, it, it Somehow manages to feel a little like a throwback, while at the same time being extremely contemporary in its portrait of twenty-something, you know, formlessness in in the character of of Francis. What do you think of Greta Gerwig's performance? It seems like the character is pretty informed by her life, uh, at least in certain aspects. Her parents play her parents in the film in in sacramento when she goes home to visit them i actually
0: didn't know that that's interesting yeah
1: those are her parents and i know the the greta gerwig uh also lived in chinatown with two roommates so i I actually have a pretty good guess at who uh, the adam driver character is standing in for wow i'll tell you off off (laughs) (laughs) there
0: boy i can't wait uh I, yeah i i i mean it's a great performance i really uh, you know it's not uh it, i look at lists uh, you know of the the best performances of the year you go to these oscar or uh, awards websites that tell you the the best performances of the year or the the contenders for all the awards and uh i'm kind of bummed when i go there and i don't see Greta gerwig's name on that list because i really do think it's a it's a fabulous performance i mean you're you're telling me all these things uh that are, are drawn from her own life and certainly i suspected watching it that there are autobiographical elements that it's, it's certainly influenced by her own life and she's a co-writer on the film so Clearly, she's you know she's she's drawing from herself to to write the character, but uh, I didn't really I didn't know uh, some of those details, and I've seen the movie several times. I've actually seen it three different times, so I, I, to me, uh, I, I didn't know any of those things, and uh, so they didn't have an impact, like the fact that they were her parents, or or that she's uh, she that you know that there is an Adam Driver character in real life or anything like that. I just thought it was a great performance and a very I don't know the the details, just like the little. The little little touches are so great, um, you know, not just in the dialogue, but in 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 the delivery. I mean, I was looking at scenes again this morning, and you know, just like the first time she's breaking up with her boyfriend who wants to move in, and she's just not interested in doing that, and she gets a call from her best friend, this the character that's really you know the, driving all of these the plot developments and just the way she answers the phone and has all these little like in jokes, the way she says like the name of the bar or like, you know, I love you. Just like the, the language that they have is so specific and feels so real that, uh, I like the way you put it, that it's sort of this kind of, old fashioned take on on like modern relationships modern living it 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 really does seem authentic whether it it's it's true or not it has the the feel of authenticity and that's the thing that you really like about it
1: i really i really loved that the central relationship in the film as much as it's mainly about frances was is was the one between her and her best friend you know there are Guys in her life like it as you mentioned it starts off with this pretty funny awkward breakup and there's the promise of a potential romance towards the ends that's uh, a really nice one but that it is about about two friends you know coming to terms with the fact that their lives will take them in different places which is just right. what happens yep. you know like that's how friendship works and i i thought you know, there's a little bit of a tie-in to something she says, Francis says at a dinner party, that's both the sweet and really awkward monologue and uh, about seeing someone across the room and having a connection with them and acknowledgement. And I think the way the film ties that in together at the end was really lovely. I thought that was a wonderful moment uh, and and just kind of a great summation of like the bittersweetness of the fact that you can be extremely close to someone, but it you know, your lives aren't going to run on parallel tracks forever, right? That just isn't how life works.
0: yeah, and I think it's a it's a story that's very relatable. I think a lot of us have, I'm sure, have friends you know like that in our lives so it's something that uh really everyone can relate to and it's and it's not something you see too much in in movies it's not a uh, it, it this is like a romantic comedy where the the romance is really a, f- a friendship between two women essentially and it's just not something you see all that often in in movies and it's 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 fun to see it depicted in this way uh and I, I i so i agree with you i think that's another thing that's definitely to its its benefit i mean i just enjoy sort of like I enjoy most of it. I, I love the sort of the arc of it, the way that it almost, you know, there's times where she almost feels like the character almost feels like she's like regressing into childhood in some ways, Um, that like she's like been discarded by her friend. And then she moves from place to place, from apartment to apartment, and each section of the movie is sort of. Gets its own like each address is like its own chapter, which is kind of similar to the way that um, Noah Baumbach has structured others of his movies. I think that kind of recalls Kicking and Screaming, which has like chapters that are like you know like first week of semester, you know Thanksgiving break or whatever. uh, Which is another movie about characters who are sort of in uh, adult childhood limbo. And uh, I just love the way that as she goes along, she seems to be like regressing like there's you know like you mentioned there's the sequence where she goes home and she takes this like she has she, there's a scene where she's taking a bath and it almost it's almost like womb like there's almost this like okay. return to like the the womb in that scene to me and and her mother has this great line and it's not like a huge moment but i think she says something like Francis, how much longer? You know, like she's asking her, how much longer she's going to be in the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. But it almost has this sense of like, how much longer are you going to be doing this with your life? You know, it it echoes through the story in a larger way. Or uh, later in the movie, she's 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 working at a college. She's like returned to college. To, to work a summer job, essentially, but then she's getting she's like smoking in the woods and getting in trouble for it, which feels very <laughs> high school, you know. So there's this just this idea that she's like traveling almost backwards through time, and she's like sort of fighting against that. I just love that that little like sort of like it's like a it's like a arc, a, a tr- you know, a progression, but also a, a a digression at the same time.
1: Yeah, and and the film also is has some very specific uh nice specifics with its portrayal of of 20-something new york life in particular uh you know i certainly the kind of limbo in which francis is drifting is not specific to any to any country even but uh just the idea i think you know when she's staying in in chinatown and the amount of rent she's paying which is an unfortunate realistic amount of rent for a room <laughs> <in> Manhattan. <laughs> Which is uh, like $1,200, which she has talked down to like 950 for a little bit until she comes into more money. But this understanding, you know, where she's staying with two guys who clearly come from money. right? And that's part of how they're able to afford this sort of semi-employed artist life that they're all sharing. Yep. But she does not. And she, you know, has this argument about being genuinely poor when she's just middle class, like a lot of people, but just not... She does not come from the kind of background, which would allow you to easily coast by, coming up with uh, several thousand dollars a month for rent with no discernible source of income.
0: Right. While while turning down jobs at Saturday Night Live because the, <laughs> the show has gone so downhill, which is such a perfect little detail of what that character's life and and worldview is like. I you know it's just great stuff like that in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um it, it's it's a pretty. It's a pretty smart depiction of of that those kind of strange class differences, and also uh, that the realization that you sometimes have, especially here here in the city, of, of when you wonder how someone supports themselves doing what they do. Right, and the answer turns out to be that they do not support yes. themselves; someone else.
0: Supports them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. That. Yeah, I mean, this is a very small little movie. I think it's like less than ninety minutes. Uh, you know, just a bunch of characters, and and really this character study. And I think there's a there could be a tendency to almost like diminish it. You know, it's just it's a it's a it's a nice little movie because it, it, it's so small, and it's it's not about human rights or something important, quote unquote. But I I think that kind of uh, underestimates how difficult it is to make a movie like this that is so funny and charming and and well observed well performed with such a great script and, and and these interesting ideas too about you know these these characters who are kind of lost and and doing it in a way that doesn't make them seem like you know like horrible you know it's very easy to make the even the characters like those those roommates that are kind of more well off and supported by their parents it's very easy for those characters to kind of seem awful but they don't in this movie you know they're they're likable guys despite that in this movie and i think uh i think the movie deserves credit for being as good as it is you know i i feel like it's the kind of movie that might get even though it'll get great reviews and it did get really good reviews when it came out it might not get the sort of love that it deserves at the end of the year just because it is so small but uh to me it's the kind of thing that it's not as it's not as easy as it looks you know
1: yeah i i agree it's it's really deceptively deceptively poignant even I you know we never even mentioned there's one moment where where she decides Francis decides to go to Paris like spur of the moment for two days and just how it goes is this magnificent kind of you know sequence of failure and humor right uh, it's almost like a short
0: film unto itself Yeah.
1: it's just so well done and and just so kind of effortlessly done seemingly uh yeah I agree It, it just because it's it's about such a such a seemingly trivial moments in this this character's life it's but it's so just beautifully done it 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 definitely should be recognized for that so that is francis ha and it is available for streaming on netflix and a movie we both like quite a bit
0: Alright, let's wrap things up with our behind the eight ball segment where we count down three new titles that are available on streaming, uh two listener recommendations from you, the wonderful listeners of Film Spotting SVU, and one random film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists. <laughs> My list. I, I'm I'm getting more and more tweets, emails about this, Allison. Both telling me that, yeah, both telling me that it's the worst thing they've ever heard, and they can't stop doing it. So I feel like it's working. Uh, but anyway, you're going to start, Alison. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's start with three new releases.
1: Okay, first up is Crystal Fairy, which is new to streaming on Netflix. This is actually one of two films that were shot around the same time about Americans abroad in Chile, uh, by Chilean director Sebastian Silva. It's actually gotten more attention than Magic Magic, which is the bigger one, a psychological thriller starring Juno Temple and Emily Browning and Michael Sarah. Sarah is also the star of Crystal Fairy, which is a looser movie, a kind of comedy in which he plays Jamie, a character who impulsively invites another American, a hippie chick, played by Gabby Hoffman, along with him and his hosts, who are played by the director and his brothers, to the beach to get high off of the San Pedro Cactus, a hallucinogen. And uh, this is a largely improvised movie in which the cast actually did the hallucinogen. Um, But it's, it's basically about the increasingly hostile dynamic between uh, Gabby Hoffman's character, who goes by the name Crystal Fairy, and uh, Sarah's character, who is all just a, a kind of hipper-than-thou guy who really wants is obsessed with drug experiences, and it is for all its kind of shagginess, I think it it has great performances from Hoffman and from Sarah. Sarah, who plays a pretty good. He's not the villain in this, but he's not a particularly nice guy. And it's a little bit about his growth as a person. But it's, it's funny to see a character or an actor like Sarah um, play a slightly darker or n- nastier character. So uh, for that and for Gabby Hoffman's fearlessness, I would recommend this. Uh, it's currently streaming on Netflix. Also new to Netflix is Hard Eight. Paul Thomas Anderson's first feature, starring Philip Baker Hall, John C. Riley, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Samuel L. Jackson, it's a, it's a bit more minimalist uh, kind of noir than Anderson's later work, but still shows a lot of the promise and a lot of the actors that uh, he would go on to work with in later films. Is a particularly wonderful Philip Baker Hall as a man who seems to have all of the answers as a guy who, who seems to make his living gambling, um, but, but to want nothing and who takes in John, who is this kind of uh, foolhardy young man who take, uh, who also wants to be a gambler played by John C. Riley, as well as Clementine uh, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, a cocktail waitress and uh, tries to help them out. Both of them being a little, more helpless. Uh, it's hard to kind of go into more of the plot without spoiling it, but it's 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 a great film and shows a lot. Despite uh, Tom, Paul Thomas Anderson having to struggle for a final cut for this one, it really shows a lot of his of the promise that he'd go on to fulfill in his later films. Uh, so that's heart Eight streaming on Netflix. And finally, new to crackle is Step Brothers. Adam McKay's masterpiece, Yes, I Said It, about two middle-aged brothers, played by Will Ferrell and John C. Riley again, who still live at home with their parents. And then you have all various kinds of surreal, Salinas and the Catalina wine mixer, Will Ferrell's musical solo, and a magnificent uh, monologue by Richard Jenkins about wanting to be a dinosaur when he grew <laughs> up. Uh, it's really, it's got everything you'd want in a ridiculous movie, and that is new to Crackle.
0: Okay, two listener recommendations.
1: All right, the first of these is from Joe in Astoria, who writes, Cinema can be the most emotionally powerful, sensorially evocative, and sublimely exquisite modern art form, but sometimes you just want to watch an action-packed 84-minute exploitation movie about a giant undead cop in pre-Giuliani New York City who can stop a chainsaw with one white-gloved hand director william lustig jake lamada's real life nephew who previously gave us such films as maniac and maniac cop gives us just such a film with maniac cop 2 it's about as violent sleazy entertaining and silly as you could hope for right through the maniac cop rap over the end credits simple lyrics set him on fire i shoot him with an uzi but he'll show up in your jacuzzi Yes, yeah. Maniac Cop Two is available for its entirely for free on YouTube. Um, let's just say you'll get more than your money's worth. Uh, also, I should include since I'm not sure if the YouTube version is uh, legal, uh, that is also available for rent on Amazon and Vudu. And we also have a recommendation from Gill who writes. Did you like Inception? Then why not take the Wayback Machine to 1984 and watch the Joseph Rubin film Dreamscape? This was a favorite of mine when I was a kid and I've always found it to be vastly overlooked and underrated. A young Dennis Quaid stars alongside Max Oncito, um, Christopher Plummer and David Patrick Kelly, with George went in a small role as Alex Gardner, a psychic who gets recruited to take part in a dream research program at a local college. Alex learns how to project himself into other people's dreams with the intent of helping cure thy psychoses, but he soon dis- discovers that the government official, played by Plummer, in charge of the program has something else in mind, dream assassins. Because if you die in your dreams, you die in real life. Now it's up to Alex's top rival psychic dream writer Tommy Ray, played by David Patrick Kelly, before he enters the President of the United States's mind and kills him in his sleep. The film strays far into camp at times. A dream sequence inside the mind of a man who thinks his wife is cheating on him is especially goofy. But as far as dream-hopping sci-fi adventures go, Dreamscape is a damn good time. I'd put money on Christopher Nolan, drawing much inspiration from it for Inception. And I think the two films would make an awesome double bill. And Dreamscape is available for streaming on Netflix and Hulu.
0: Okay, and one random film from your my list. From my my list.
1: Um, Number 49 you gave me, which is Arbitrage. That's uh, Nicholas Jurecki's film from last year starring Richard Gere as a hedge fund manager trying to cover up the death of his mistress and some financial fraud. Never got around to seeing it. It actually, I think, did fairly well uh, on VOD. It didn't get much of a theatrical release. But, you know, it also helped along as as the secret of all VOD is by having a title that starts with A. Mm. Yes, but uh, I I never got to see it, so it's been on my my list this whole time. All right, Matt, so it is your turn now. Are you ready?
0: All right, I'm ready.
1: Okay, three new picks.
0: All right. Uh, I think any accounting of uh, the best performances of 2013 must include James Franco's stupendous performance as uh, Alien, the white rapper and gangster who – takes in a quartet of Spring Breakers, which is now available on Amazon Prime. Uh, writer-director Harmony Kareen uses the hedonistic lifestyle of Spring Break to comment on the hedonism of all modern America, really, uh, with uh, Alien as the lovable, deranged symbol of it all, boasting of having shorts in every color, uh, designer T-shirts, gold bullets, a- and so on. Uh, This is it, y'all. Spring Break Forever. That is uh, Spring Breakers, which is available now on Amazon Prime, available now on Netflix, is a movie that uh, admittedly is maybe more in my wheelhouse than almost anyone else on the planet because I did spend a year and a half uh, doing a blog dedicated to film criticism, but I definitely enjoyed For the Love of Movies with the Story of American Film Criticism. Uh, this film is directed by Gerald Perry, who, uh, I just realized as I'm saying this right now, is one yeah. of the supporting actors in uh, Andrew Bujalski's computer chess. He is. So he's getting a lot of uh, face time on spotting SVU this week. But anyway, Gerald Perry, who is a film critic himself, he was the critic or one of the critics at the Boston Phoenix for many years until that paper folded. Uh, so it's made by someone with firsthand knowledge of the profession and its history and it 's a nice overview of the major players and the major movements in the history of film criticism, and uh, it does kind of uh, tell the story all the way from the beginnings all the way through the internet era you 'll probably see some film critics from uh, the modern era that you know that our listeners are familiar with and read on a daily or weekly basis somehow though he neglected to invite us allison but i 'm going to overlook I'm shocked. yeah i 'm going to overlook that almost unforgivable omission and say that this is a good primer on its subject. And uh, it is streaming again on Netflix. That's for the love of movies, the story of American film criticism. Uh, Finally, available on Amazon Prime, and speaking of memorable supporting performances, Penelope Cruz won the Academy Award, the BAFTA, and ALMA, many others, for her role in Woody Allen's 2009 film Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Uh, She played Maria Elena, the beautiful but uh, tempestuous ex-wife of Javier Bardem's character Juan Antonio Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson round out the rest of the main cast they play two American women they're vacationing in Spain they're invited by Bardem's character for a weekend of good wine good food and having sex with him definitely one of the more autobiographical Woody Allen efforts I think (laughs) he as one of the great Latin lovers of all time Was writing from a personal place of experience. Uh, You know, look, uh, Woody Allen not making the um, the more you know the more Francis Ha esque movies lately. I think uh, I think uh, he's had more success venturing out into this kind of thing. Not one of my most favorite of his more recent works, but uh, uh, reasonably successful. So that's Vicky Cristina Barcelona. That's streaming now on Amazon Prime.
1: All right, two listener recommendations.
0: Okay, first up, here's a recommendation from Joel Torres. He recommends The Face of Another on Hulu Plus. He says, One of my girlfriend and I's favorite activities in the evenings is to describe the plot of movies to each other that, for one reason or another, one of us hasn't seen. This takes a few minutes at the most, and it's always fascinating to hear what parts of a movie stood out to someone. The other day on a whim, I chose to watch The Face of Another from the Criterion Collection on Hulu Plus – and wow, an existential sci-fi movie with hints of Hitchcock, The Outer Limits, and World War II metaphors. It's a little difficult to understand, but a great pleasure to watch. And come the evening, I, d- I tried to describe the plot to my girlfriend, and it took me 30 minutes. Every detail had been etched into my brain. A few days later, I'm still recovering from it, and I cannot recommend it enough. So that's The Face of Another, and that's available on Hulu+. Plus. And I've also got a recommendation here from Patrick Felton. He writes in recommending Midnight Cowboy, which is available now on Amazon and Netflix. And Patrick writes, When it became apparent that Francis Hott was going to be the listener's choice film, this immediately came to mind as I think they are psychically connected. Midnight Cowboy is for me the ultimate urban sadness movie. Beautifully shot, masterfully edited. This is a great love letter to the young, poor, forgotten underlings of the city – John Barry's heartbreaking harmonica score perfectly captures a moment in New York history when the veneer had finally cracked and the dream of hope had disappeared and the primary focus became survival. Like Francis, Joe Buck is aimless and adrift without the financial or psychological means to improve his situation. It's one of the few New York City films that is explicitly about being poor in the city, and I like that there was once a period of time where a character like Ratso Rizzo could exist on film. It's still one of Dustin Hoffman's greatest performances. So that's Midnight Cowboy, available on Amazon and Netflix. And that's a, that's a great one. It is, I think it would make a great double feature with yeah. Francis Ha. So that's a great pick. All right. And one from your My List. You gave me number 125 on my My List. And that is uh, Marley, Kevin McDonald's documentary about Bob Marley. I think I watched part of this once, maybe. I don't remember. Uh, probably. Maybe I should have deleted this one off my, my list already, frankly, Allison. <laughs> but I didn't. So it's sitting down towards the bottom.
1: That's, yeah, that's not what my lists are for. They're for holding on to these things that you half thought you should watch right. forever and ever.
0: <laughs> and probably never will. Well, there you go. That's, that's on there this time. Marley by uh, Kevin McDonald.
1: All right, and that brings us to our next listener's choice, Picks. Um, We have three for you this time, and uh, two are new, and one is not so new. We couldn't find three new ones uh, that were all on on different streaming services. So we're giving you a mix this time. Um, Matt, what's our first option?
0: Our first option is something I just recommended in that Behind the Eight Ball segment. It's Spring Breakers, and again, that's available now on Amazon Prime. Directed by Harmony Korine, And the reason I put it on here is even though I liked it when I saw it. Allison, you liked it as well when you saw it? Yeah, I liked it well enough. We both saw it under less than ideal circumstances at South by Southwest last <laughs> spring. I was actually sick as a dog. As sick as I've been in a while at South by last spring. I got halfway through the festival. I came down with this brutal cold. Like I had like a fever. I was shivering. I was just... Oh, it was awful. And I saw this movie, like the premiere at South by sitting in my seat, like just like pounding vitamin C drops and cough drops. And I was on all kinds of uh, cold medication. So even though I really liked the movie, I was kind of whacked out of my mind. So I feel (laughs) like I maybe should take a look back at it, see how it holds up when I'm a little – More lucid. Take a take a look at it, and you feel the same way, Allison.
1: Yeah, I saw it having just because of the schedule at South by Southwest, and when you're working, but also trying to catch up with a lot of people that you don't normally aren't normally in the same town with. I was just seeing it on very little sleep, so I was kind of drifting for a bit in the middle. Not that it's a movie that you know doesn't drift itself so I, I kind of but i'm a little fuzzy on on some of the details of what happens in the middle so i would also like to to take another look at it so we're gonna offer that up as a pick
0: yeah so that's option one spring breakers available on amazon prime and uh, what's option two allison
1: option two is the the film that is not a recent release it is russian Ark, which is now streaming on netflix this is the 2002 film from Alexander Sokurov, who actually has a new, ish film uh, that's currently in theaters, Faust. Uh, but this film is was famously filmed in a single unedited 96 minute shot, kind of steadicam shot that goes through the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg, and kind of goes through different bits of, of Russian history or uh, St. Petersburg history specifically. And you know, we thought that. Uh, beyond just taking a look at that film, it might be a good opportunity to look at some other you know, notable instances of uh, kind of unusual cinematography or very ambitious cinematography. Yeah. So that is option number two. It is streaming on Netflix.
0: That's right. Okay. And option number three is another new film. It's available for rent on iTunes. It's called Is the Man Who is Tall Happy? And this is the new film from Michelle Gondry. Uh, this is the uh, plot description I got. I think this I got on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's just sort of an, an official you know, plot synopsis. It says, Director Michel Gondry applies his playful imagination to animating a series of conversations with the esteemed linguist, philosopher, political commentator, and activist Noam Chomsky. At the heart of these talks is Chomsky's theory of the emergence of a language. In this intellectual feast, Gondry uses drawings to make complex ideas more accessible and to expand the documentary form. So it's not a movie that – allison or i have seen we don't know a ton about it beyond subject matter and director but we're both big michelle gondry fans his you know his name on it is enough to get us interested and uh there's another movie from this year we would need to catch up with and uh something we're interested in checking out so that's is the man who is tall happy and that's one that's available for rental on uh, itunes
1: So which movies should we review on the next episode of Film Spawning Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspawningsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspawningsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, December 9th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash FilmspottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, December 17th.
0: FilmspottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The FilmspottingSVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. In the meantime, though, you can follow me and Allison on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And, of course, you can follow the show at FilmSpottingSVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners. And don't forget to keep sending us your listener recommendations, what you've been watching on streaming, so we can keep sharing them in our Behind the Eight Ball segment. The email address one more time is svu at filmspottingsvu.com. For Filmspotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer.
1: And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening.